0: Welcome to An Amber A Day, the podcast all about functional nutrition for PCOS. I'm Amber Fisher, a certified nutrition specialist and licensed dietitian nutritionist, and I have training in functional medicine. I also have PCOS, and on this podcast, we discuss PCOS in depth, Nutrition strategies for it, as well as the realities of living with it and making this lifestyle work. For further guidance and meal plan support, you can check out the show notes for links to my PCOS courses and programs. And if this podcast helps you, please do me a favor and leave me a review. Thank you so much for being here. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome back. You're listening to An Amber a Day, the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Fisher, and today is season two, episode two. I believe overall it's episode 62 or 63. I'm very excited to be here. Um, I wanted to talk today about something that I get a lot of questions on and something that I work on a lot in practice. I have a lot of expertise in this area, and I felt like this is something that I think people are really wanting information on, and so I may as well give you as much information as I can over a podcast. So today we're going to talk about weight loss in PCOS. We're going to talk about what helps, what hurts, and what really works. Isn't that catchy? I love that. Um but really what I want to talk about today um in specifically is give you an idea of when I work with clients, what I have seen work the majority of the time with the caveat that of course every person is different. And what works for one person doesn't always work for another. Um, and what works for the majority of people with PCOS may not work for you. So you have to find your niche. You have to find what works for you. If you struggle with that a lot um, and you feel like you've kind of tried everything, you might like my new course, Functional PCOS, which is coming out in February. Um, there's a little link in the description box of this episode where you can find um, more information about that. And there's a, you know, you can sign up for the interest list on it. But in that course, I do give a lot of um kind of strategic support for weight loss and kind of show you how to figure out things like how many calories you should be eating, how many carbs would probably be best for you, that kind of stuff. I go into more depth than I'm able to do on this podcast today. So if you feel like you've struggled a lot, the pot, the, um, the course might be a good option for you. It's also a great option if you are, um, both if you're new to a diagnosis of PCOS and if you have had it for a while, but you just feel like there's just too much information or not enough information and you kind of just don't know where to where to start and how to get down to your root cause, like how to figure out what's going on with you. I, I designed it to sort of be this um, this place where you can start to delve more deeply into what exactly is going on with you. Um, you know, of course there's no substitute for working one-on-one with a practitioner, but I know that's not in everybody's wheelhouse. Um, I would love to work with every single person who wants my help, but I can't do that either. So this is kind of my way of trying to get the most salient information about PCOS, the stuff that I know works from my years of practice with this, um, to the people get it to the people so uh yeah if you're interested in that there is a link below where you can get on the interest list it right now it is with beta testers and they're doing kind of the first round of testing of the whole thing the course itself and the meal plans with it and all that and so far so good the feedback on it is really positive um And that's exciting for me because, you know, I've been working on this for over a year at this point. It was an idea that I had back in 2018. That was when the idea was born. And it's taken this long to sort of gestate it and get it to fruition. So it's like my little – it's like my second baby. You know, I have my two-and-a-half-year-old, Calvin, who is – Absolutely wonderful, but he only cooked for seven months, and this thing has been cooking for over a year, so we are ready to get it out to the world, Um, and if that, by the way, If you're like, what? Seven months. He my son was a preemie. He was born a couple months early. So there's more podcasts on that if you're interested in in that. And I um I plan to do more content on that and the risk of premature birth with PCOS, because it is a risk. But anyway, yes, this is something I've been working on for a long time. Um, and of course I think it's good, but of course I'm also a perfectionist, so I see all the flaws within, and I'm like Are people really gonna like this? Is it really gonna help? Like, I've given it to several people at this point to kind of go through and read through and watch and all of that just to make sure that it's really gonna be um, what I wanted it to be. And so far, the feedback is good. So that's very exciting for me. Hopefully, very exciting for you. And yeah, I just wanna share that with you before we get into today's podcast. Um, Another thing that I wanted to share with you before we get into today's podcast is the podcast needs reviews. The podcast has expanded a lot, and I'm really excited to say that I believe by the time that this episode comes out, we will have officially hit 10,000 downloads since the podcast started, which is a big mon- uh, milestone for any podcast and very exciting for me because I, when I started this thing way back in the day... You know, I had this dream that I would be able to get information out to people, but I didn't really know if anybody would actually want to listen to it. And now we're at 10,000 people have at least downloaded an episode. And so that's really, really exciting. But in order for it to reach more people, it does. We do need more reviews. So if you've been listening for a while, or if this is your first episode and you really like it, you feel like you've gotten something out of it, the biggest like tip you could give me, um, just to say thank you, would be to leave a five star review on Apple Podcasts. So, all right, let's get into today's episode. So we're talking about what helps, what hurts, and what really works for weight loss and PCOS. I'm going to keep saying that because I think it's so cute. But let's talk first about what hurts, (laughs) because this is the stuff that when I first meet with someone, I ask them about their health history. I ask them about what things they've been through, like what's gone on with their PCOS and what's gone on with the rest of their health, their digestive health, their sleep, their energy, all facets of their life. And I also ask them, what have you tried before? especially if we're going to work on weight loss. I always want to know, like, what have you tried before? What's worked for you? What hasn't worked for you? Because that can give me a really good idea of what your metabolism sort of looks like and even a little bit of information about like what type of PCOS you might have. For those of you who don't know about the types, um, this is another thing that I cover in depth in the course, but essentially there are three kind of major types of PCOS. There's actually Four types, but I don't talk very much about the fourth type, which is the post-birth control pill type because I don't see that one very often in practice. So there are three kind of main types that I talk about, which are the insulin resistance type, the inflammation type, and the adrenal type. Now, in general, the vast majority of the people with PCOS um, who I work with are primarily either insulin resistance or inflammation types. Now, um, most People with PCOS do also have an adrenal component um, because all these things are tied together. So it's definitely not something that we can throw out the window. But I would say that the precursor, the root for most people is like one of those two or combo. Um, I call it the vortex because it's like all connected. Anyway, we go over that more in the course, but that's kind of a, a little brief overview. And so if I know which direction we need to go based on what's worked for them in the past, like for example, if keto worked for them in the past, then that's probably a pretty strong sign that they've got a pretty heavy insulin component because what keto does is it um, reduces the amount of insulin that you're producing at any one time because you're eating low insulinogenic foods. So you're eating foods that don't make very much insulin. Um, which kind of prevents your body from having to have that sort of insulin resistant response, right? So if ketos worked in the past, that could be one reason why. Um, same thing on the other end, if like something like a Whole30 or Paleo or AIP has worked for the person in the past, that it can be a strong indicator that there's an inflammatory component because maybe they have food sensitivities and those diets cut out a lot of different foods. They're basically elimination diets and elimination diets tend to work well for weight loss when the person has an inflammatory component because a lot of the reason why they hold on to weight is because of that inflammation and it, it kind of making their body feel, what I like to say, is unsafe. I mean, that's not very scientific, but that's kind of how I see it. Um, and to that point, what I'm talking about today is my personal experience as a practitioner in this field working with real people. I'm not pulling specific studies today, although... Everything that I do is evidence-based, so I am pulling, like, knowledge from studies that I have read in the past, but I'm not, like, going to reference specific studies today. I'm really talking about what I know works from my personal experience. I do, in the end, think that that's actually more valuable. At least when I'm, like, talking to another practitioner, I want to know, not necessarily, like, okay, well, what, what research you know, have you read on this specific topic, but like, what have you actually seen work for people? Because a lot of times when we're in like a healing profession, we start to pick up on these subtle differences between people and these subtle connections between people. And we just get an intuitive sense of what needs to happen with the person. So I have a lot of data just from asking that question all the time on what doesn't tend to work. So let's talk about that. What doesn't work? What hurts when we're trying to lose weight with PCOS? Well, the first thing is typically something like a low-protein, high-starch diet. This would be something where you would either be like, uh, totally plant based and a lot of like potatoes and beans and rice and those kinds of things to get your protein in. There are ways to kind of make a plant based diet work, although I will be honest with you, it is a lot more difficult with PCOS. I, I see a lot of, of people who don't like to eat meat or they just like to eat a little bit. Um, and they find that, you know, maybe it hurts their stomach or something like that. Or they just don't have a taste for it. But they do crave a lot of, like, higher starch foods, like, you know, potatoes and um, sugar, of course. But there are ways, you know, there are different diet types that are kind of like that. Certain big-name diets, let's say that, you know, where you have, like, systems where you have to count up different things, that kind of rely on this idea of, you know, eat your protein um, but don't eat very much and make sure you're having, you know, a lot of rice and a lot of grains because whole grains are really so healthy for you. And then low fat, right? Very low fat. That doesn't work well for PCOS. So if you have been trying to do a diet like that or a diet where you feel like you're, you're eating a lot of like meatless meals, typically that, that doesn't work well protein helps to slow the release of sugar from the blood. It helps with adrenal function. It's beneficial for inflammation. Like there's so many roles that p- protein plays in the body. And I would say of all the nutrients, like it's probably what I would consider the most important for PCOS. I mean, the, you know, vitamins and antioxidants would probably be like a second dairy thing. But definitely, protein is hugely key for weight loss and PCOS. So, if we're doing a diet where maybe we're just limiting calories, we're just eating like a thousand calories a day, but we're eating a lot of little packaged, little hundred calorie packs, snacky things like a lot of snacking, a lot of fruit, like those, that type of diet, which like a yogurt, that kind of stuff, um, it just doesn't. Work very well for PCOS. Second thing that that hurts is excessive saturated fat consumption, and this is where we get into like a little bit of controversial territory because I know that the low carb, high fat kind of community has sort of co opted PCOS and talks about PCOS as if it's like this is the diet for PCOS, you know. Um, And they like to do a lot of saturated fat. And one of the arguments is that, well, you make all your hormones from from cholesterol, which comes, you know, from saturated fats. Like, so you need them for hormone production and healthy hormones and your body needs saturated fat. Um, You know, I do think villainizing saturated fat is not the way to go. But your body doesn't need that much saturated fat, guys. Um, you don't need to be eating like bacon and steak and all and butter and all these kinds of things to get enough saturated fat. Um, so what I what I mean by excessive saturated fat consumption is kind of like the idea of like typical kind of maybe Atkins or keto type diets, where you'll see people eating like a real meat heavy diet with like a, cooked in a lot of fat and um, you know, very limited on the vegetables, you know, no fruit. I see a lot of people doing keto where they're doing like a lot of dairy products too. So they'll do like cream, you know, okay, here's a perfect example. You know, those little jalapeno poppers where it's like a jalapeno and it's stuffed with cream cheese and it's wrapped in bacon. Um, Like I I saw this one person one time put that up on, she was like a a health coach or something and she put it up to be like, this is my healthy dinner, my healthy low carb dinner. And I was just like really having to fight the urge. I mean, I never say anything to anybody because everybody is the expert on their own body and, you know, what works for some people doesn't work for other people. And there's nothing wrong with having jalapeno poppers sometimes. I love jalapeno poppers. But my point was putting that in such a high place and acting like a diet with that much fat in it is like soup is like the pinnacle of weight loss help. And it's going to be so healthy for you. Um, just simply because it's low carb, high fat. I think that that's a misunderstanding of how low carb diets work and why they work. So what I'm not going to say today is that low-carb diets don't work for weight loss for PCOS because I do think that in a pretty substantial subset of PCOS, they do work pretty well. Um, so if you've ever done a low-carb diet before and you're like, uh what are you going to tell me? I can't do low-carb diets because that's what worked for me in the past. That's not what I'm going to say. But what I am going to say is these diets where it's like excessive fat consumption, like a lot of fat, where you're adding fats, like you're adding MCT oil and those kinds of things. You're doing the bullet coffee, all that kind of stuff. Um, that doesn't tend to work well for PCOS. And the reason is because of inflammation. So excessive saturated fat consumption, excessive like processed meat consumption, um, excessive red meat consumption consumption can be inflammatory, especially if it's done just like day after day. And I find that maybe at first it will induce some weight loss. There's a lot of water weight loss that happens at first, but I'm not negating that there might be some fat loss as well. but in the long term it it doesn't work well for weight loss because it does eventually start to increase that inflammation, which then makes you hit this kind of like plateau area where you just can't get you can't get lower, like you can't get the belly, kind of bloating gone and, um, eventually you sort of have this rebound effect where you start to see your cholesterol like start to rise. And, um, and a lot of it is due to the lack of fiber in that diet, but also because those things can be inflammatory in, in larger quantities. So another thing that hurts when trying to lose weight with PCOS is not having any regard for muscle maintenance. And this is another thing that is really where protein really comes into play as well, because, um, What a lot of us don't understand is the concept of anabolism and catabolism. So to put it simply, the idea is that when your body is in building mode or anabolism, it's building both muscle and fat. Your body is, it can't just build one or the other. Like You can't do this thing where um, you can't build muscle at the same time that you lose fat. That's a kind of a misunderstanding of how how the body works. So what happens is that you build both at the same time, and then catabolism is the process of reducing. So you reduce them at the same time. So when you're losing weight, you're also losing some muscle. But there is a way to manipulate the system to where when you do gain, you gain mostly muscle and just a little bit of fat. And when you do lose, you lose mostly fat and just a little bit of muscle. And a lot of that has to do with protein consumption. It also has to do with exercise and being smart about your exercise and your activity, which you know is a huge important piece that I won't get into too much today. But um, muscle mass is really important because the more muscle you have on you, when you get to your goal weight, the more food that you can eat that will maintain your weight. So it's a simple calories thing when it comes to muscle. Muscle burns more calories. And so when you um, when you lose weight and you maintain a good chunk of your muscle mass, you won't maintain all of it. Like, especially if you're losing a large amount of, of weight, you're going to lose some muscle and that's normal. Um, you don't need to be too worried about that. But as long as you maintain it pretty well, uh, what will happen is that your your basal metabolic rate or the amount of calories that you burn if you're just, you know, sedentary sitting around will be higher than a person who has a lower muscle mass. And this is part of why it becomes harder to lose weight as we age, because as we age, we naturally lose a bit of muscle every year unless we're really diligent about maintaining it. And so I believe, I I don't want to say the wrong thing, but I believe like Every year after 25, I think it is, you lose a certain percentage of your muscle mass unless you're actively trying to stop that process. Um, and that's a big reason why you see, like, especially post-menopause, that it becomes really difficult to, to lose weight because the same things that might have worked for you when you were 25 and you had a certain amount of muscle mass, even if you weigh the same now, um, it's not going to work the same because your basal metabolic rate is different because you have less muscle on you. So not paying attention to your muscle mass is is a huge problem in diets when we have PCOS. Um, Another thing that hurts is doing a diet where you cut food groups, but you pay no attention to calories. So this could apply to keto. This could also apply to paleo or an elimination diet um, of any kind, I see this a lot more, I would say, with paleo-type diets than I do with keto-type diets simply because um, with keto, you're eating, like, the foods that you're eating, I think, are more filling. And um, so, by default, they sort of make you not that hungry after a while. And then you end up like just not eating very many calories on accident. And honestly, I think that's a lot of the reason why, why keto like works for people. Cause you know, you, you hear like, Oh, well, keto, it's, it's, um, you don't have to cut calories, but you lose weight. But really, um, when you're cutting that many foods, what ends up happening is that you, The first week as you're kind of adjusting, you're losing water weight. And then once you've adjusted, um, your appetite gets suppressed pretty well. And then you you actually end up eating significantly less, um, usually by about two, three weeks in. And I've seen that from like personal experience watching people. Um, And I, I think that that's one of the reasons why it can work well for weight loss for some people. Um, But so I see this more with, with like paleo type diets where we're not really restricted on carbs um or calories and we're just kind of restricted as far as like, you know, don't eat, um, I don't know, don't eat dairy and don't eat gluten. Right. So, uh, there is a subset of people with PCOS who this does actually work pretty decently well for. Um, And I would say in general, it's people who have a strong inflammatory component to their PCOS and definitely have food sensitivities. Um, And then who also have a significant amount of weight to lose because the combination of those two things usually means that they end up kind of by default, getting into enough of a calorie deficit to start seeing movement on the scale just from cutting those food groups because combined with the calorie restriction plus the reduction in inflammation, it can help weight come off. So this does work for a time for a lot of people, um, but long-term it's not going to work. And the reason is because um, when it comes down to it, the honest truth is that you can't ignore calorie balance um, forever. So the beginning of your weight loss journey, you can ignore it probably if you're doing one of these types of diets where it's like you're, you're counting carbs or like you're being careful about carbs or you're being careful about, um, certain food groups of food. A lot of times you can get away with it for a while at the beginning. But once you start to get closer to your goal, what happens is that your metabolic rate, is going to lower because it's not going to take as much energy to keep your body going. So your body's going to burn less calories just being alive, and that's normal. And um, But at the same time, you need to keep a certain deficit of energy in order for your body to keep relying on its fat stores for energy. So what usually happens is that people continue to eat about the same amount um, that worked for them for weight loss. And then as they continue losing weight, it starts to get slower and slower. They start to get plateaus that last like, first it's like a week and then it's like two weeks and then it's like a month, you know, and these plateaus get longer and longer before they see weight loss. And it's usually just because we, um, if we want to continue on losing weight in that fashion, then we have to, um, alter the calorie consumption to match the metabolic rate or else be patient, which, you know, there are ways around this. Like, again, the muscle mass thing is huge. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that kind of alternate way of thinking about weight loss when we think about instead of losing weight, we think about gaining muscle. But anyway, I'm going to talk about that in the helps section of this. Long term, like, we have to pay attention somewhat to calories. And I know that can be triggering. You know, when, when it's very triggering for you, you need to pursue alternate alternatives. But for the rest of you who this is not triggering for, to think about calories and it's more just annoying, um, you know, I always promise to be honest on here. And the honest truth is that like, eventually calories do become important. Um, it's definitely not everything. And they're certainly, like I said when I talked about low protein, high starch diets, like you can't just cut calories and expect to lose weight with PCOS, as you probably know. In the end, they do still matter. So when we do something like a paleo diet, where we're just like going whole hog on the like sweet potato fries, you know, um, it's it might work for a minute, a hot second. It might help you feel better. And you might reduce your inflammation, which might be beneficial for your body in other ways. But when it comes to weight loss, um, you're probably not going to see too much movement there. Okay, the next thing that hurts, and I sort of covered this a little bit already, but it's um, not paying attention to diet quality. So with PCOS, our, our metabolisms and our bodies are so sensitive to things. Um, we very likely have, you know, um, buildups of like, um, environmental estrogens, like BPA, things that come in, components of plastics. Um, we don't do always the greatest job of like detoxing our hormones, our livers, Don't always do the the best job. A lot of people with PCOS have the MTHFR gene mutation, which makes it hard to methylate, um, which means it's hard to break down B vitamins, it's hard to make enough antioxidants. We usually have oxidative stress. So, any kind of toxins that come in, and I know toxins is like a bit of a buzzword, but there are things that we do take in from the environment, from drinking water, from packaged foods, from plastics and things that we are exposed to that are somewhat toxic to our system and that our liver, which is our detoxing organ, has to deal with and get done with. And then it goes, you know, either to the, either to the fecal matter or the, our lovely kidneys to be processed as urine and to get out of our system. Um, and Having a lot of that kind of stuff in the diet and a lot of stuff that's got preservatives, um, a lot of things that come in packages, can be hard for PCOS because it, it kind of increases that toxic load, which then makes it hard for your body to actually lose body fat. So I kind of think about it this way. It's like alcohol, uh, weight loss, and toxins and hormones all have to kind of go through your liver. You store toxic material in your fat cells when your body can't like process it at the time. It either doesn't have the resources to process it or it's like um, a certain kind of uh, a certain kind of toxin. Anyway, you store some stuff in your fat cells. And so as your fat cells kind of shrink, some of that stuff comes back up for processing. And you have to have a really healthy functioning liver in order to be able to kind of lose weight well, while also living in this world where we're exposed to all of these things. So you can do yourself a favor by reducing your consumption of some of this stuff in the first place. So thinking about, you know, if you can, eating organic produce, that helps. Um, Filtered drinking water helps. Um, trying not to eat out of plastic containers, trying not to use non-stick pans, um, using cast iron or stainless steel instead, um, using glass containers and Tupperwares and bottles and all that kind of thing. That does make a big difference. But fundamentally, like from a food perspective, you're always going to have better outcomes when you eat whole real foods. That's not to say that like some fancy cracker that's made from quinoa and chia seeds or whatever isn't fine for you or good for you, but you're going to have the best results when it comes to weight loss when you eat whole foods. Part of the reason for this too is not just that they, you know, there's not as much of a toxic load on them or whatever, but also because they're more, uh, nutrient dense but calorie poor so you eat whole foods you fill up a lot faster and you don't feel super hungry but you haven't actually eaten that much Um, so you you still continue to get that deficit that you need and that's hey quick question for you are you someone who wants to be fit healthy and happy That's beneficial for weight loss. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. So, um, so yeah, I think I see a lot of people who they rely a lot on packaged products to help them with weight loss because they're pre-portioned. And I know because sometimes it's like, it can be triggering to be like, well, how many almonds should I eat? And like, I tend to overdo it. And, and yes, that, that can be a problem. I do see that being a problem in weight loss a lot where like people eat too many like nuts and, um, things like that. Um, Maybe I should have added that to the list. But those, like, packaged products and stuff, they're okay here and there. You know, meal replacement bars are okay here and there. Protein shakes are he- okay here and there. I mean, I drink a protein shake probably almost every day. But the majority of the food that you eat should be whole food and should be high-quality food. Um, just because it's low-carb or low-calorie or um, gluten-free doesn't mean that it's healthy. Look at the ingredients of the food. A lot of times, you know, the main ingredients in gluten-free stuff is like rice flour and rice syrup, which is like, you know, basically just sugar. The quality of the food matters. It does matter for weight loss. The other reason that it matters for weight loss is because of the inflammation component. So if You have a strong kind of inflammatory component to your PCOS, eating a lot of this kind of like packaged stuff that has a lot of ingredients in it, um, it might trigger inflammation for you, which then makes it more difficult for your body to want to let go of weight. Um, Regardless of how many carbs or calories you're eating, I see that all the time. Somebody has a food sensitivity, maybe to dairy, they're eating like totally keto, they're eating 1200 calories, whatever. And they don't lose weight because they have a severe dairy intolerance or something like that. You know, that that can happen. And then the last thing that I find that hurts with weight loss is focusing only on exercise. Now, you're listening to a nutrition podcast. So I'm guessing that you are not the only exercise type, but maybe you've done this in the past. A lot of people think that if they just burn enough calories exercising, that they should be able to lose weight. And I would say that works uh, for one group of people, and that would be, like, um, men, Uh, young men. That tends to work for them, for nobody else does it work, okay? You're past 30, it's not working for you. Trust me, I know. Um, You have PCOS, it's not going to work for you. Now, exercise is important for weight loss. It is beneficial. It does do something. Um, But... Exercise alone is not going to do it. You, you might find that like, you know, your Fitbit or whatever says you've burned or my MyFitnessPal says you've burned 500 calories or something. You go and add those extra 500 calories to your diet and you're like, oh, I am gaining weight. So never believe it <laughs> when you, when someone says, oh, just exercise more. It, that like coming from a professional nutritionist, that does not work. I have literally never met somebody who that's worked for um, long term, at least it might get a few pounds off of you in the beginning, but long term, no. Okay, so those are the things that hurt. And obviously, that's not everything because I even reminded myself of a few things as I was talking. But uh, those are kind of the most salient points that I wanted to make today. Now let's talk about what helps. And this is kind of the flip side of a lot of this stuff that I talked about. So The first thing that helps is knowing your type. I mentioned this at the beginning, but it's very important to know what conglomeration of PCOS issues you are dealing with. So let's talk about the three types and kind of what works best for each one. For insulin-resistant dominant people, a insulin-resistance-friendly diet is gonna be probably the best way for them to get weight off. And when we get into what what an insulin-resistant friendly diet looks like, what it doesn't look like, I've actually done podcasts on this, so I would recommend going and listening to those to get some ideas, but fundamentally, an insulin-resistant diet involves um, a moderate to high protein consumption, uh, moderate carb restriction. Sometimes if we skew all the way into like the type 2 diabetic range, sometimes a little bit more carb restriction, especially at the beginning, does help. But that really depends on the person. But a lot of it is going to have to do, when you're insulin resistant, a lot of it has to do with preventing your body from making too much insulin and then working on the fundamental reason why you're making too much insulin – with the root cause reason why you're making too much insulin and kind of working on that. So looking at your gut health and making sure your gut's really healthy because your gut bacteria largely determine how insulin sensitive you are. Um, So looking at gut health podcasts, that might be helpful for you too. With the inflammation type, it really does come back to the gut. Like bar none, we have to deal with the gut health here. We also really want to strongly look at food sensitivities and food allergies, which are connected to gut health as well. But um, oftentimes, elimination diets work really well here. And the elimination diets um, that I like kind of eliminate allergenic food groups for a certain period of time, usually 30 days, and then you slowly add them back in to kind of see if you have a problem with them. I would suggest that if you do have a problem with any foods, it would be wise to work with a functional nutritionist who can kind of help you hopefully heal that issue. But that's hard to do on your own. I have done some podcasts on that, but you want to really look at gut health stuff. Like, that's huge. It matters more that you are avoiding foods that cause inflammation for you, that you're avoiding foods that you're sensitive to, um, while you're trying to heal and that you're, like, taking good quality supplementation, like probiotics and things like that, that matters more than your carb restriction for weight loss in that particular type of person. If you're a combo, a lot of times you have to approach it from both, which is always fun. Um, and my course is, like, aims to kind of help you do that. And the third type, the adrenal type, this is where we kind of go like off the rails <laughs> with the recommendations. And a lot of the stuff that I'm talking about today won't work for adrenal PCOS. Typically, pure adrenal PCOS is related. These people don't often need to lose weight. Like true adrenal PCOS, often these people are, are relatively thin already, but um, but not always. And, um, so if you are dealing strongly with an adrenal component to your PCOS, then the, then the importance is primarily nourishment. So we don't want to do anything drastic, no drastic calorie restriction, no fasting, no drastic carb restriction. Um, just nourishing anti-inflammatory foods at regular times. Like a lot of the stuff with adrenals is more about like meal timing and, um, being consistent and rest and, um, relaxation and self-care and, um, and well-timed exercise and all that kind of stuff. And that's actually what helps the body to feel ready to let go of body fat. That's, honestly where a lot of that stuff begins it's it's like it you have to deal with that almost before you can even start the process of trying to lose weight so and i would say this is the case when you have primarily an adrenal issue if it's just if the adrenal issue is just kind of along for the ride but you're mostly like insulin resistant or inflammatory or whatever then i think you can still address these other things but you do want to keep in mind that anything too drastic is going to be hard on your adrenals And so you don't want to probably experiment around too much with that. Like, um, you know, intermittent fasting. This is something that I should probably do an entire podcast about. But nine times out of ten, I don't recommend it for PCOS. The only kind of group that I do think that it works well in is um, occasionally and like extremely insulin resistant people like type two diabetic or, um, or pre-diabetic and not even always then. And you need to ask your doctor about that stuff, by the way, because you have a medical diagnosis, but also, um, post-menopause, um, if we don't have an adrenal issue, which it's common that post-menopause we will have an adrenal issue as well. So, take that for what you will. But intermittent fasting, I almost never recommend when we're, when we are still in our fertile years, because it can be hard on your fertility and your hormone balance, because it's hard on your adrenals. Um, So knowing your type is the first, like the key, because that way you don't spend your time, you don't waste your time kind of like going down the whole 30 paleo route, if really all you need to do is make sure that you're consistent with your carb consumption and likewise you won't waste your time going keto or low carb if you're an inflammatory person because you know even though maybe that might seem easier in your head because you can still eat a lot of the things that you like like cheese um you know if you've got the inflammatory type then you know that you're probably going to do better on uh working on your food sensitivities first. So knowing your type helps a ton. Um, The next thing that helps a lot, and I would say this helps probably every type of PCOS, moderate carbohydrate restriction. When I say moderate, um, I mean less than 100 grams a day, um, but not so low as 50 grams a day. So somewhere in that range, There's a, if you've got like really strong adrenal PCOS, you might need to go a little bit up over that. But I've talked about this before on the podcast when a lot of the studies that have been done on low carb diets have actually been done on diets around 125 grams a day um, total. And so, you know, these very low carb diets where you're eating like 20, 30 grams a day, this is stuff that doesn't have as much research in women. Um, done. And so um, we don't know what the long-term effects of that kind of carb restriction are on on the body. Um, But we do know that a lot of the research on PCOS supports moderate carbohydrate restriction somewhere in that range, you know, somewhere around 100 grams a day. And I would say if you're eating that much, making sure that a good chunk of that like at least 30 grams is coming from fiber. Um, that's, that's the sweet spot for, uh, for most people. So I like, there's almost no one that I can think of with PCOS who won't benefit from a little, a little carb restriction. But the key with the carb restriction, like I said, is consistency. The whole, like, eat this way during the week, binge on the weekends thing, that just does not work for weight loss. It it more has to be like, if you're going to incorporate, um, sweets or things like that occasionally, that's fine, but you need to find a way to incorporate it in with that consistent carb restriction. So, you know, um, it needs to be like part of a meal. Maybe you just don't have very much of it, but you can still have some, that type of thing. Um, Rather than being like, okay, I'm going to have a cheat day on, you know, every Saturday is going to be my cheat day. Cheat days, I should have put this on the hurt section, but, but cheat days hurt a lot when it comes to weight loss, in my experience, be, for a couple of reasons. First of all, they reduce that deficit that you've had all week, and when it comes to weight loss, it's not so much about how many calories you eat one day but the average of how many calories you eat over the course of a week or two weeks or a month. Um, and if you're being super good, and I don't like using the word, the terms good and bad, but for demonstration's sake, if you're being really good on the during the week and not so great on the weekends, then you could be reducing that kind of weekly deficit by quite a bit, which would make it basically look basically a wash. Um, so that's one reason. But the other reason is that I find that they are very, that cheat days are very triggering, especially in PCOS. So many of us have difficulty knowing when we're full. So many of us have difficulty knowing how, how many carbs do we actually need? Like we, we can binge on sweets. Um, we, we, we tend to not, like, be able to read the signals really well of our body, like, knowing how much um, sugar we should or shouldn't have. Like, we don't really have as good of an off switch as a lot of people do with things like sugar and fat and stuff like that. And so, um, I find that that cheat days can be triggering because it can be so exciting in the moment, but then It triggers these kinds of cravings for sugar and carbs and sweets and things that you're trying to limit to be really strong the next day and the next day after that. And eventually, you know, you come down and like you get back into your balance. But those couple of days after, it's really hard to find your balance again. And if you're like bored with the weight loss process, it's very easy to kind of throw in the towel at that point. And I I see that happen with a lot of people in practice. So that's why I always kind of mention that I don't like my clients to do cheat days. I like them to really kind of make this a a true lifestyle change. So we find ways to incorporate sweets safely, um, through the week rather than taking one day to just kind of be like a free for all. Um, so moderate carb restriction does help. Um, moderate calorie restriction helps as well. Uh, You don't want to go too low, especially if you have an adrenal issue. But sometimes, depending on your height, I don't see people going low enough. Um, There does need to be some sort of deficit, situation. And, um, everyone's re this is truly where this actually is real. Like everyone really is different because you're the amount of calories you need is dependent on how much muscle you have, your height, your current weight, your age. Like there's so many factors. So it, I can't say like off the cuff, like, Oh, you need to eat 1500 calories or whatever. I would say that the majority of people with PCOS who are of average height, tend to do well around 13 1,400 calories a day for weight loss if they're also accounting for other factors like carb restriction and they're eating an anti-inflammatory diet and all that. Um, but uh, that's certainly not the case for everyone. My really petite clients often need to eat less than that um, because our portion sizes, like, as especially as Americans, like, we do not have... Um, we do not have the portion sizing thing down correctly, and they're certainly not made for someone who's five one. Um, so, fourteen hundred calories a day for someone who's five five foot tall um, that might not be that might be more of a maintenance sort of deal. It might not be enough to see much movement. The um, Likewise, if you're really tall or you have a lot of muscle, like I've had a client who was a personal trainer and had her eating um, 1,400 calories for a bit because I didn't have uh, bioimpedance machine data on her yet. But based on her height, that's about how much I wanted her to eat. And it was not enough for her. And she was really suffering. Um, and as soon as we were able to get, you know, more calories in her, she it was much more, you know, much better for her, so if you've got a lot of muscle mass or you're very or you're tall, you might need to eat more. Um, so it really, really all depends on the person. But some calorie restriction is helpful there. Usually, we say um, from a nutrition perspective, about 500 calories a day as a deficit from what you typically would burn in a normal day is is what we would need to get about a pound a week off of you. And with PCOS, I I tend to um, I tend to expect a little less because our metabolisms are a little bit more sluggish. But um, overall, that rule does work pretty well in practice. I mean, I use it successfully with people all the time. So I think you can kind of look at, at something like that. And um, as long as you you're accounting for carbohydrates, fiber, and calories, and you're just really eating like a healthy diet where you're taking care of all that stuff, you should see some weight loss. The next thing that helps, of course, is diet quality, which I I talked about before, but making sure that you're eating a really um, kind of anti-inflammatory diet. So let's talk a little bit about what an anti-inflammatory diet is and where there's research. So the diet that I like to recommend if you're new to working on PCOS and you're not working one-on-one with somebody who can make you a very you know, detailed, like personal meal plan is the Mediterranean diet. And the reason why I recommend that is because it's such a great conglomeration of all the things that work well for PCOS. It accounts for all the different types of PCOS and there's substantial research to back up that it's helpful in PCOS. Um, so we've got data that says it helps with weight loss. It helps with insulin resistance. It helps with inflammation. I can tell you that that kind of nourishing, high quality diet that has places a high focus on stress relieving activities and, um, you know, moderation in life and balance is also great for the adrenals. So it's really just kind of like the perfect sort of basis for a PCOS diet. It doesn't involve a lot of, um, you know, more inflammatory foods. It's got a lot of high, um, it's high in omega-3s, which is anti-inflammatory oils. Mediterranean diet, you got to do it right, though, to really see the benefits. And when I say do it right, there's um, there's different ways to kind of approach it when you do specifically have PCOS. I did a podcast on the Mediterranean diet and ways to modify it and stuff. And I'm pretty sure that in that podcast I talk about modifying it for PCOS. But just in case I didn't, I'm going to go into it a little bit now. Basically, um. The fundamentals of the Mediterranean diet are great for PCOS, but where I see people making a bit of a mistake for PCOS, especially if they want to lose weight, is in consuming too many starchy vegetables, too much, um, too many grains and, uh, too much like of things like wine and alcohol. I'm sorry, wine and, and chocolate and stuff like that. So all those things are, are fine on the Mediterranean diet and you, you certainly don't want to cut them out because then, then it's not the Mediterranean diet, right? Um, but, uh, we do need to be like careful about portion sizes. So with PCOS, I tend to say like half a cup or less of any of those things at a time and you wouldn't want to do two at once so you wouldn't want to do like half a cup of potatoes with half a cup of pasta because that would be one full cup of starch which is too much at once with pcos but if you can keep it under half a cup um, that's usually a good kind of rule of thumb to go by Um, i would say that with weight loss as a goal, we might even need to, to do more. So we might need to either not have any of that starchy stuff at dinner time, maybe, because we process carbs. Um we we don't do as well processing carbs in the evening, things like that. Um, or We might just need to cut the portion sizes down to like a quarter of a cup, which I know doesn't sound like much, but, um, what I like to do, especially with pasta and stuff is combine it with, with veggie noodles so that I still feel like I'm having pasta because I'm still tasting the pasta, but I'm also like getting some veggies in and I I feel like there's more, more bulk there. So there are different ways to modify it. Um, but Mediterranean diet is by far my favorite, um, for, for PCOS as, as just a basis Um, other diets that I think could be pretty anti-inflammatory that might work well for certain types of PCOS, um, if you've got a really strong insulin resistant component, you might do well on like a clean keto, um, with the caveat that I would say to be careful about, you know, limiting your dairy consumption, not like making all your carbs dairy products and making sure that you're really diligent about, um, working towards, a fiber goal, um, at least 25 grams a day. So you're not going to be able to do, um, you know, under, you're probably not going to be able to get under 30 grams of, um, of carbs a day total, but net, you might be able to get around there. And, um, and if you're incorporating a lot of fiber and your carbs are coming mostly from non-starchy vegetables, That can be a way to kind of walk the balance between those two things. And with that diet, you know, I would suggest like relying more heavily on fish and leaner kind of proteins and stuff like that. But that could be a decent, you know, diet for somebody who's got a lot of insulin resistance. A lower carb kind of paleo might also be a good diet approach, especially if you do have like an inflammation issue. It doesn't need to be like super, super low carb, but, you know, keeping in mind those portion sizes that I mentioned for Mediterranean diet, um, same thing would go with like a paleo type diet. Um, you would just want to be careful about how much you had at any one time, but that could also be a, a decent, you know, PCOS diet for weight loss. Um, the DASH diet is also one that is often used, and this is kind of like um, not my favorite, I Personally, I'm not a big fan of the DASH diet, but there is some research on the DASH diet like helping in PCOS, so I don't want to rule it out that some people might do do okay on the DASH diet. I think, you know, just like I said with everything else, like be careful about portions. I do think that the DASH diet is a little bit too low in protein usually, so I would suggest adding some to that um, to modify it. But, but yeah, those kinds of anti-inflammatory diets as your basis and then accounting for how many calories you should be eating and your portion sizing for starches and stuff like that, that's really the the sweet spot for weight loss. And um, I hope that I'm not being like, <laughs> I hope that this is not too much information and, and overwhelming. I imagine that some of you are probably feeling very overwhelmed right now. The problem with, with making a podcast on a topic like this is that I have so much I want to say and so many tips, but um, I can't specifically, you know, tell you, okay, do exactly this, you know, because you have to be able to modify it for yourself. So um, if you have questions on any of this stuff, don't forget that there is a link in the description box where you can ask questions of the podcast. And and I do question and answer podcasts fairly frequently. In fact, I think the next one that comes out is going to be a question and answer podcast. So, so yeah. Um, but I hope that 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 kind of thing, um, that, that the dichotomy between these two things helped you put some stuff into perspective and maybe get a little bit closer to, um, the, the last thing that I want to talk about before I move on is, um, something that I mentioned when I talked about muscle, uh, no, not regarding muscle mass. So, um, there is, there are two kind of ways to lose weight. The way that we typically think of weight loss is, ca- is associated with calorie restriction. It's like, it's restricting things to get our body to burn more fat so that we, you know, lose body fat. Um, that's the way we typically think of about weight loss. But there's another way to think about weight loss, which is that we bring our muscle up so that we naturally are burning more. And then with time, our body will kind of naturally start burning more, uh, of our body fat off. So like a lot of, um, I see a lot of personal trainers who help people with weight loss do things from this perspective. They kind of like help people build first and then they do like a cutting phase that's common in bodybuilding. Um, and the cool thing about PCOS is that we usually, if we have high testosterone, we kind of build muscle pretty easily, which is nice. Um, so this can work really well. The downside of it is that you do, when you, when you kind of like try to gain muscle first, you do like bloat up quite a bit and, um, you, you might even like gain some substantial like body fat doing it if, if it's not done, uh, correctly or if it ends up like triggering that insulin resistance for you. But a lot of people do find that, um, if they eat kind of a, um, a very mild calorie restriction, but place a high focus on protein. And then they regularly do heavy strength training that eventually there does begin to be this, um, kind of pendulum swing into the weight loss territory, specifically addressing like body composition. I can tell you that for myself, I did this, um, so in 2018, I started working out with a personal trainer, and or 2017, I don't know, it's been a while, I started working out with a personal trainer. Um, at the time, I had kind of like my weight that I liked to be at, and then my sort of goal weight, right? Um, and then I had my weight that if I got to that weight, I was kind of like, eh, maybe I need to kind of like, you know, be a little careful, because I just want to stay within this range. Over the course of a year, I gained about 10 pounds, but I lost... Um, a substantial amount of inches, about two dress sizes worth, and um, I credit that muscle building with that for making my metabolic rate higher. What I would do throughout that year was occasionally I would go through bouts where I would do kind of a a little weight loss uh, work. You know, I'd do a little calorie restriction for maybe a month, a few weeks. Um, And that kind of long-term approach can work really well for weight loss. Sometimes I will do this with clients where we will work on muscle building first. We'll build muscle um, and they will gain weight for a couple of months. Then we will do a few weeks of losing body fat. And then once they start to plateau again, we kind of work on that muscle gain again. And we do that so that we're steadily stair stepping down and that can work really well as well. Um, so that's just another way of thinking about things. I don't typically talk too much about that because, um, it's not usually the way that I do things mostly because, um, it's a longer approach and I'm kind of working with people's motivation in the moment and I want them to get to their goal as fast as they can. Um, but it's something that you could think about if, um, something that might help with your weight loss. If you are plateauing um, during your journey, you might think about taking a little time off, just letting your metabolism kind of recover and maybe gaining a bit of muscle um, in the meantime so that when you get back on the weight loss train, it'll be a little easier to lose again. So what really works for PCOS? Number one, consistency, always with the consistency. Um, Number two, nourishment, You've got to eat your veggies. You've got to have your anti-inflammatory diet. Um, number three, mild to moderate carb restriction and calorie restriction. And then the last thing, which I don't have enough time to go into today, so I'll just mention it right now, is self-care. Um, we have got to take time to relax, to let our bodies calm down, and that means not doing things like two-a-days at the gym um, it means not going on like six mile runs. It means taking time to rest and relax and rejuvenate and let our muscles rebuild and recover and all of that. Um, there is no such thing as laziness. I heard that on the radio today and I thought I'd share that with you. There is no such thing as laziness. So take time for yourself and the more relaxed you are, the more of a relaxed state that you can be in the majority of the time, the easier it is for your body to let go of body fat. Weight loss with PCOS can be complicated. It can be, um, a difficult process if you need help and none of this is helping you. Um, I would strongly recommend that you find somebody versed, well-versed in PCOS in your area maybe, or somebody online who can help give you a more personalized approach. Um, You might also think about my course, which I mentioned. Uh, But yeah, that's all I have for you guys today. I hope this was helpful. Good luck on your journeys. Um, I believe in you. You can do it. And um let me know what questions you have on this topic and I may be able to make more podcasts on it for you. So talk to you soon. If you learned something today or you enjoyed today's episode or both, I'd love it. If you would leave me an iTunes review and share this with a friend, if this brought up a question for you that you would like to hear me answer, there is a Google form that you can use to ask me any question you want. And I might answer it here on the podcast. I do it all the time. And I would love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.